You're listening to the Disney One by One podcast, a chronological look at every Disney animated classic and beyond. Here's your host, Mike Rolfing. Hello and welcome again to Disney One by One. This week we're talking about Home on the Range from 2004. This is the 45th movie on the list. We're still going. Remember, you can find us everywhere on the internet at Disney1x1. If you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, we would love that. And we will read it here on the show. You'll hear it on the show. With me, as always, today is my brother David Rolfing. David, welcome back to Disney One by One. Hello, Mike. Thank you for having me back, as always. As always. The, the I forgot an analogy this time. Again, I forgot again. The, I don't know, there's no males in this movie. They're all Alameda women. Slim. The buck to my Alameda Slim. No, the buck to my Rico. There we go. David Rolfing. <laughs> I'm honored. And joining us, a first-time guest, a friend from way back in high school, Garrett Henry. Welcome to Disney One by One. Hello, and welcome to everyone <laughs> else here. <laughs> yes. Thanks for listening. I'm glad you guys could have me. I'll, I'll do my best to call you Garrett. You went by Tom in high school, and that's still how I know you. So yeah. we, we, there may be a Tom snuck in there. It's a rather nefarious word jumble when it comes to my name. <laughs> but yeah, Garrett, Garrett, Tom, same person. It's me. So you're in St. Louis. I am. Still. Raising kids. Full-time father. Loving it. And are you still doing stand-up comedy and stuff too? I am, yeah. I'm at uh, the Funny Bone every Tuesday night. I do Helium Saturday nights. And then we're doing uh, comedy sports improv out in Main Street, St. Charles too. Staying busy. Staying busy. Tom was one of my one of my early stars in some of my, my early productions. So many. <laughs> so many great little gems back then. <laughs> five in specific. Yeah. We've talked about five on this show. Have I you? think. With which Chris, episode Chris was Nestor. that? Chris oh, Nestor. Yeah, Chris Nestor was on. <laughs> Awesome. You killed Chris in five, actually. I did. Yes. I murdered Chris. And such it was such a heartbreaking thing. I still have trauma from that. I see flashes of Chris dying in my against the door. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all coming full circle. Chris was on our what episode was he on, David? What movie did he do? Yeah. Uh, he was on Emperor's New Groove with us. Oh, yes. Classic. You want to hear Chris? And uh, we talked about his his death scene in five. <laughs> How many takes we did with that? Yeah, so that that movie was was basically about could you summarize that in a sentence? Oh, I can't. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like a, like a, like a, it's a murder movie, but a spiritual takeover of yes. Like its spirit takes over a member of a group of friends and basically kills the entire group. Yeah, you have to kill five people in in order to let the spirit in order for the spirit to leave you. Yeah, yes. to be released, and then you do a little. You don't know who has the spirit, and you know it's a little. You double fake them at times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's honestly not bad <laughs> it, it has it has its execution we'll put, we would say that it has its moments of execution it does like, right, and it, well yeah i mean it's not that well produced but like the twist at the end is like pretty well thought out absolutely for, and then for you had 17 the, and 18 year olds you yeah. had the little like markings on the hand throughout the movie of yeah. every time he had a kill he had another notch on the hand and it's one of those subtleties you wouldn't notice unless you watch it as yeah you gotta watch yeah. it twice to, to really pick up on everything that's what i always loved about those movies is like all those little small details they were there and not in a cheesy way where you're like Oh, clearly there's something out in the open there. Right. No, no, it was littered with that stuff. I like that. You probably released it around the year of this movie, right? Uh, Well, we filmed it in the summer of 2005, and then we released it the fall of 2005. So close. Close. And I don't think there wasn't anything like in between Home on the Range and what was next in the terms like, what are you guys doing next? Because I don't know. Uh, Next is Chicken Little, which was 2005. Okay, that was the next one. Yeah. Chicken Little was right after this. Okay. Yeah. Okay. For you listeners who haven't seen the famed five movie, it was filmed in our childhood home. And so I was like 
fifth grade at the time. It was actually kind of scary watching a horror movie unfold inside your bedroom. Yeah. Bunch your of your brother's bunch bedroom. Of, <laughs> bunch of your brother's friends running around with knives covered in blood. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Miss Scott, the one of our teachers that was in the yeah. film as well, she like actually studied corpses for like the right makeup for, oh, her, yeah. for her death because she was found dead in a closet at one point. Yeah, that was a good jump scare. Yeah, well, you yeah you killed her. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I murdered her. I mean, I was going to, you know, yeah. I'm not going right. to take all the credit for the death. It really was. <laughs> it was all me. No, but yeah, she she looked so mortifying. So to be your age walking around and possibly like stumbling out of the bathroom and coming face to face with that. <laughs> with a walking corpse. Walking yeah. corpse, yeah. I still can't really believe that we premiered that movie at our high school, yeah. which is like a very conservative Christian school. Totally. And we did like a grand premiere in the, it wasn't an auditorium, in the gym that doubled as an auditorium. And there were a lot of people there. There was. It would, it's a dream come true in that kind of a sense. You know, you want to be able to like, at that age, put whatever you're doing out there on that kind of a scale. Yeah. And we did. And it was fun. It was received well. There were probably two or 300 people there. But like watching that movie back recently, it is dark. It is really Absolutely. dark. Absolutely. It has no redeeming value to 100%. it whatsoever. <laughs> Carol, Carol plays it perfectly too. He has like some somber points in that scene. Oh, yeah. Is there is it linked on your Vimeo or something you can put it in the show on, notes? I th- I'll, I'll link it somewhere. I'll at least link a trailer okay. to it. So if anyone's really morbidly curious, they can check it out. Right. It's about an hour long. Oh, man. So I don't. <laughs> I, yeah. Don't blame me for my hairdo in that one. I think it's uh, yeah, frosted peaks. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's embarrassing. Well, we well we've heard about your high school acting history. Yeah. Um, what about your Disney history? Did you grow up watching Disney movies, going to the parks? Absolutely did. I absolutely did. Yeah, Disney for me is. I we have the VHS is still in a box in the basement. I'm in. I'm looking at it over there in the corner. So I mean, I was raised on the Beauty and the Beast kind of era, but for me. It's so crazy. Whenever you talk Disney, no one is ever in the realm that I'm in when my favorite movies are like The Aristocats, The Great Mouse Detective, The Rescuers. Kind of, I think that was right after Disney died, I believe, and his son took over. I think if I'm getting the history right, I'm not too right about ish, all that stuff. Ish. Yeah, there was a there was a son-in-law that took over son-in-law, for a while, yeah. and and then his nephew was involved for a while as well. Yeah. So I, of course, I never knew all that growing up, but those were the movies that I. I kept watching on repeat. The Great Mouse Detective in particular, I watched as a kid probably more than any other one. And that era is also like the Michael Eisner era who was not related to Disney. Not related to him, Who was the CEO, yeah. That's the stuff that rings out to me. But Beauty and the Beast was then the one that my parents would tell you they took me to as my first movie ever in a theater. And I was just slack-jawed. And for me being like a really hyperactive kid that, yeah, my parents would always say that whenever they took me to that movie, I just shut up the entire time, watched the movie, was absolutely amazed and mesmerized by it and then i got to do that in musical theater later on i got to play lumiere at one point i got to play at one point so it's like that that was a cool one that came full circle in my life and then as i got older to this point it came through in the video game world where there's a video game called kingdom hearts where they use a lot of disney worlds and characters and blended them with a video game world called final fantasy and in that in particular i connected like with that huge throwback, I never thought Disney would have that full circle effect in my life. I thought like once I aged, it kind of was like, all right, well, I'm kind of done with Disney films in a sense, unless I have children. But then, yeah, with that game, you get to immerse yourself in the world and take part with the characters and kind of conversations with the characters and play through the plots of the movies. <laughs> I was really into that. I found that incredibly immersive. And so, yeah, that franchise has sold me on the numerous games they put out. Yeah, I need to find some videos of that. I th- I, rem- yeah. I, I kind of remember remember you playing that, David. But yeah, I did. 
PlayStation 2 era. And I don't, I mean, I don't get into video games, but I'm super yeah. curious what that involves. Oh, it's... like you said, you're playing through the plots of the movies and stuff. That actually sounds pretty. Yeah. Like when you go to the Aladdin world, it's like just for an in instance, I'm just thinking about it. It's before any of the stuff from the first movie and you're with Aladdin as he's kind of like jumping from, you know, escaping being a street rat. And then you go to the temple and you find the lamp with him and then you, it all gets caught up in the story. And it's, it's very well done. It's tastefully done. It's, for anyone that's familiar with the movies, it is a welcome nod to like what you remember and then like, yeah, giving you kind of like your own chapter in it. I have watched the long videos of the people who have crafted the entire Walt Disney World in Minecraft. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, you can like get on the rides and stuff. It's insane. It, that is a whole different type of gamer that I have such an elaborate respect for because it's the dedication to do something like that. Like you can ride Star Tours. Yeah. Which they, you get in, you walk in the line and then they dig deep underground so that you, like you can in 3D space fly through the scenes and then, but they end up back in the same spot. It's ridiculous. I have, I, I have no concept on how you could possibly do that in a game like that. In a sense though, it's one way to actually beat the line. Like, hey, you don't want to go to oh, Disney? Yeah, pay, yeah right. Pay 30, 40 <laughs> bucks, buy Minecraft and just go ride the ride in Minecraft. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's quite the same. Put a VR headset on, it's the same thing. Yeah, but it's the same thing, and there's still a line, it sounds like, too. (laughs) There's still going to be a Minecraft line as well. Did you make it to the theme parks growing up, Tom? I did, many times. Um, Well, three, but for living and growing up in the Midwest, three was a a wonderful number. And then I did again later on in life, and I haven't made it with my kids yet, but I plan to. But yeah, the theme parks, especially the Star Wars attractions when they were there, I'm trying to remember... I don't remember like what the ride was. I just remember you saw the big AT walker. Yeah, well, that was Star Tours. I was just talking about is the, the simulator. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the very first one. So that's what that was. C three PO was out there. Yeah. So I have very faint memories of that because I was pretty young when we went there. But I wanted to meet Bud, Buzz Lightyear and uh, Woody. They were the ones that walking around that I was the most fascinated to find. And then I remember, we still have the pictures of that. We did the whole thing because we stayed at a resort the very first time. So that was the most in terms of like burned into my brain. Like when you stay at the resort and you get that full experience of that many days there and you're getting dinner and breakfast all around all that stuff, it's that is beautiful. I mean, we went to Epcot. It's the jumping fountains that like in my mind, whenever I even hear Disney, that's the first thing my mind sees. Epcot Center and those jumping water fountains out in front of it. I love how you call it Epcot Center because it's not called that anymore. Oh, but yeah. That's that's its true name. It's its true name. Throwing it back, baby. Yep. I don't know what year I'm in. <laughs> it's still the 2000s to me. It's perfect for this movie. So you, you kind of rattled through your favorite movies, but do you have a top five you can count down for us? Yeah. I'll go number five, Sword in the Stone. Um, absolutely Sword in the Stone. Number four is more recently because my daughter got into it and I hadn't seen it. And I realized the music is amazing. And the film itself was good as Moana. I really enjoyed that. And we've been watching that a lot because my kids, my three-year-old's obsessed with it. Yeah. I, I've talked about Moana a lot on the show, even though we haven't gotten to it yet. I'm not tired it. of it yet. Yeah. I've seen it yeah. a lot and I'm not tired of any of the songs. I'm still singing it time to time. So that's number four. You're welcome. You're welcome. The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> watch out i smell what he's cooking i smell that sequence i've said it i've said it many times i'll say it again that sequence with the coconuts attacking them oh my gosh with the mad max music playing (laughs) it's it's fantastic i love it your facial expressions change oh yeah it's it's so funny it's well crafted um so that's four number three then is the ones that i've mentioned i'll go aristocats the rescuers and then number one great mouse detective (laughs) absolutely i don't know what it is about that film i think it's the dark themes 
it's it's got dark themes. It's that whole London Sherlock Holmes rainy setting. It begins with a violent kidnapping. Yes, all of that. The Rescuers <laughs> is dark too. The Rescuers goes to some dark places as well. I don't know why. There's something about that that fascinated me as a kid. Maybe it was such a contrast to what the classics everyone else was enamored with, like the Bambies and the. Well, and that was a weird era of movies too. Yeah, the Rescuers. Fox and the Hound, Fox and Black the Hound. Cauldron, yeah. Great Mouse Detective, kind of this funky The Black funky Cauldron era. one, I remember being so obsessed with Sword in the Stone, my parents thought I'd like Black Cauldron, and I was like, this is this is an insult. <laughs> 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 it felt like it was trying to be that kind of movie, and it was like, oh, no way. All right, and with that, we'll move on to Home on the Range. And now, our feature presentation. Good guy, you move. Bad guys. Wide open spaces. And the greatest hero the West has ever known. The Dairy Cow. Well, there it is then. Three dairy cows who've never been off their farm are to scour the entire West for a wanted outlaw, bring him in and collect the $750 reward all in less than three days. What? Before he pitched the idea for Pocahontas to Disney executives, director Mike Gabriel, who directed Pocahontas, came up with an idea which he said was combining Captain's Courageous with a Western. Captain's Courageous is an old Rudyard Kipling novel. Nothing ever really came of that, but when Pocahontas was finished, he developed the idea further. He wrote a 40-page treatment, um, and he sent it to then-president of Disney Animation, Peter Schneider, who just wrote back with, wow really liked this idea. And uh, soon after the project was titled Sweating Bullets. That was the original title of this movie. And it went into development. And this was, I mean, Pocahontas came out in 95 and Home on the Range didn't come out to 2004. So we got a ways to go. The original story was, was like a supernatural sort of ghost movie about a uh, cowboy who visits a ghost town and is confronted by like an undead cattle hustler named Slim, like a zombie cowboy. It was later reconceived into a story about a little bull named Bullets, so we keep him with sweating bullets, that wanted to be more like the horses that led a herd, so we're not even close yet. In 1999, in an attempt to uh, salvage the production, we've just jumped a few years, and retained some of the existing characters, a guy named Michael Labash took a, a different approach and decided to include three cow protagonists who become bounty hunters to save a farm. So now we're, we're, we're much closer to the final plot here. Some folks jumped on board to help with this and developed this idea further, this new storyline about the cows. Um, but in 2000, Mike Gabriel, the guy who originally came up with this idea, the sweating bullets, he was removed from the project because of the various story problems that he brought about. And then a guy named Will Finn returned to Disney. He left for DreamWorks for a little while. And by October of 2000, this was really in full swing. They went deep into the Walt Disney Animation Library to get some inspiration for this movie. There's a number of old Disney Western shorts. I immediately think of Pecos Bill, which was in... Which one was that in, David? Salutus Amigos, maybe? No, Pecos Bill was in... Melody Time, maybe? One of those compilations. And there was also the Martins and Coys, which was the deleted sequence from Make Mine Music, which was that Hatfields and McCoys Western short. So they took a lot of inspiration from those to kind of create the look and feel and style of this movie. And if you go back to see those, they are very reminiscent of each other. Uh, the casting in this movie, quite the cast. First off, we have Roseanne Barr as Maggie. <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
has she has she ever worked for Disney previous to this? I'm sure. Uh, this was like this was her first time doing a voice in a Disney film. Um, obviously, there's quite some controversy revolving Roseanne yeah, these days. I was, but what I was going to say, this is 2004, so she she wasn't really on that kind of radar yet because this is Disney. I was wondering how that gig even got pulled with what disney's doing they'll probably remove her on the next incarnation of this and Absolutely. replace her with someone else <laughs> well it got a sequel didn't it so <laughs> yeah that's true but uh yeah, she got in big trouble for saying something on a show on abc right wasn't her new show on abc and then it got it yep. got the boot yeah already so, got yanked already got which yanked. abc is a disney network so yep shows you right there so mrs calloway is played by judy dench we got m gotta love it leading the way mom i love that character but we'll get into too. that in a minute too. Third Cow Grace was played by Jennifer Tilly, a very silly character. Buck the Horse, played by none other than Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, Alameda Slim, Randy Quaid, that, that cracked me up. And then uh, we got a cameo from Steve Buscemi, who plays Wesley, the sort of black market cow dealer. I love how they modeled that character after kind of his look, too. Well, they created the character with him in mind, and then Did they really? offered it to him, yeah, which is which is fun, when, especially when it works out like that. That worked out well. <laughs> the few other voices I heard, the, the lady who does the voice of Mrs. Potato Head, what's her name? Estelle Harris. Yeah, the she chicken. She plays one of, the, one of the chickens. That's right. I heard some Patrick Warburton in there briefly, who does plenty of, of voices in Disney films, and he's he's the voice of Joe and Family Guy. So yeah, that's, that's sort of the cast, the cast of characters. So most of these movies we've talked about in the history of this show... In the history of Disney, have pretty complicated development process and, and and a lot of notes in production. This didn't really have a whole lot. I mean, I talked about this evolution of the story, but once they kind of got it locked down, not much happened after that. I was watching a behind the scenes video, and they one of the directors called it Charlie's Angels with Cows. They wanted some some strong female characters to save the day. The music in this movie, Alan Menken returns. The last Alan Menken movie we had was probably way back with uh, Hercules. It's been we've had. Had a long Alan Menken lapse, and he's back. He's returned. Menken was brought on when this was still called Sweating Bullets, and he brought Glenn Slater on to work on it with him. Uh, Slater was a multiple Tony nominee for his work on the stage versions of Little Mermaid, Sister Act, and School of Rock. They wrote that song, Little Patch of Heaven, which is one of the first songs in the movie, way back in 99. They wrote that way early in the production of this movie, and they had Katie Lang record it. This was before the final directors were even on the movie, so it's really interesting to see how they jumble all this around. I know a place pretty as pie Where the river bend hits up with the end of the sky It's left in Nebraska And over a crest On a little patch of heaven way out west That song was going to be applied back to when it was still like a like a ghost? Yeah, uh, apparently. Interesting. Maybe they'd rewrite the lyrics, but you know, it says they recorded that back in 99. Yeah. Interesting, because that offsets the theme if it was, you know, chasing a ghost rider or something like that. Or... Maybe it's supposed to be ironic. True. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so later on, they wrote the many other songs for this movie, including which includes melodies from the William Tell Overture, Beethoven's Ninth, 1812 Overture. It's a fun song. And then, yeah, we got Will the Sun Ever Shine Again and other songs. I'll, we'll get into those in a little bit. This movie was originally scheduled for release in 2003, which is when Brother Bear came out. They moved Brother Bear into its place and pushed this to 2004 because they wanted to promote Brother Bear on the home video release of Lion King. It did not get an Oscar nominee. The best animated feature nominees that year were Incredibles, Shark Tale, and Shrek 2, and Incredibles 1. So no love for Home on the Range. That's about all I got as far as the history of this. David, do you have any other fun facts to contribute before we dive in? 
I have a couple. The The film was so poorly received that its art director, Michael Guillamo, was fired from Disney after this movie came out. And it was the last traditionally animated Disney movie until Princess and the Frog. So that was about five years later. Oh, and I, I missed that on its $110 million budget, it made $103 million. So it was a loss. And this was the same year that Disney released The Alamo. Do you remember that movie? No. It's a live live action Alamo movie with Dennis Quaid and Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah. That was the same year as this? Which had a $107 million budget and it made $26 million. I mean, that's one of the biggest flops of all time. Wow. And that was released by Touchstone, which is a Disney company. Home and the Range also finished at a loss. So they were not. Disney wasn't happy with themselves at the end of that year. No. Disney's Home on the Range on April 2, Bust a Move. Who put this here? All right, before we dive in, Tom, what is your history with Home on the Range? Had you seen this movie or is this the first time you'd ever heard of it? So, yeah, when you told me about this, the thing that came to my head was Over the Hedge. Ah. So, like, I, I knew it was, I was like animals. And I was like, what was that one with the porcupine that I never saw in the neighborhood? Okay, probably that. <laughs> When I looked it up and I saw the cows and I was like, oh, okay, I'm in for something I never even knew existed. This one completely graced by me. And it's 2004, right? So I'm a yeah. sophomore. Yeah. And you mentioned the Alamo. I remember seeing the Alamo that year. Hmm. My family, my dad's actually related to Sam Houston, who's oh, wow. involved in the Alamo. Um, but yeah, so we wouldn't see that. So that just puts me right there. I probably wasn't seeing animated stuff was off my radar, like I said. I never really expected Disney to catch up with me in video games like it did later. So we were in the period in high school. Yeah, I really wasn't into animated stuff anymore. Yeah, I'm looking up the top movies of 2004, and it just jogged a memory. What was it? Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind came out in 2004, and I remember you being obsessed with that movie. That to this day. If you ask me what my favorite film is, I will tell you Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. (laughs) Yeah, uh, and Jacob the Liar, Robin Williams, RIP. Those are my two favorites. But yeah, okay. So that puts there you go. Yeah, there you That's go. the kind of movie I was in. Yeah, you never saw Home on the Range because you were you were watching Eternal Sunshine over over and over again. I yeah. mean, it, emo kids are in prime. It's two thousand four. We're all a little somber, getting a little dreamy. Yeah, that was what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Home on the Range didn't fit. No. <laughs> that, that didn't fit the emotional bill. Uh, yeah. Also, that year was Crash, Million Dollar Baby, Kill Bill Two, Finding Neverland. Mm. Uh, the Terminal, which is that Spielberg movie with Tom Hanks in the airport. Garden State, Sideways. There's another one. Garden State was a good one. Sideways. Hotel Rwanda. Man, yeah, this is this is high school in a nutshell. Uh-huh. Passion of the Christ came out in 2004. That's that. I mean, you took you take Eternal Sunshine, Garden State, and Sideways for a sophomore in high school, and that is pretentious in a nutshell. That's right. Mean, there. <laughs> mean Girls. Mean Girls. The Notebook. Oh, so fetch. Shaun of the Dead. Man. Okay, that's a good nothing. There's the comedy side of that. Yeah. Prisoner of Azkaban. Spider-Man 2. That was very popular as well. That was so. big. That was big. And then we got The Village. I remember seeing The Village and being so excited about that movie oh. and then being completely disappointed by it. Are you one of those people, though, that in time that changed your... I have never watched it again. I'm I'm the same way. I hated it in the theater that day, and I've defended that argument every day since. I would like to. I would like to watch it again. I think I respect people that say that, oh, I watched it again. And I was like, it's an all right movie. And I'm like, no, I hated it. That was that <laughs> really that really disappointed me when it was the people. <laughs> yeah, I didn't but- even need a supernatural aspect, but it's just the way they did it. Yeah. I, all right. Who do you take me for? <laughs> yeah. I remember how hyped that was. I remember getting like 20 friends together that summer to go see it. David, you probably, were you old enough to come with us to that? 
No, uh, no, definitely not. Yeah. Oh, because it was building off the anticipation of signs. And I was in yes. love with signs. Signs hit those marks in all the right places for me. So then when the village kind of felt like it was going that way and then completely dropped the ball in that sense, and just the sense that the anticipation didn't build until where you realize the aliens are real in signs and you go that direction with it. In the village, it took that other, you know, it yeah. kind of dropped off where you expected it to keep going. Okay, David, Home on the Range. Had you seen this movie before? I also had not even heard of this movie, which is surprising because I was, like I said, in about fourth grade at that time, but I was definitely too busy watching The Incredibles, Shrek 2, and the Yu-Gi-Oh! movie, <laughs> which I probably saw all of those in theaters. So this one was at the bottom of my list of wanting to see it, and I didn't. I'd only heard of this because I know the list of movies, but definitely never seen it. Um, and I was excited to check it out, coming in basically completely blind, not quite as blind as Tom, but pretty darn blind to Home on the Range. So now that we've seen it, Tom, what was your sort of initial reaction, your, your overall thoughts upon watching Home on the Range for the first time? So I can actually give a pretty good perspective because I watched this with my 10-year-old boy and my three-year-old girl. Okay. And both enjoyed it. The three-year-old, it's hard to hold her attention for a whole movie. Moana's been the only one that's actually achieved that. <laughs> she was probably in for about 30 minutes of this. And that was about the main middle part where there's a lot of action. The cows went to town. The flash flood kind of up to that point. She was Her attention was held throughout all of that. And then my 10-year-old son just enjoyed it. He said it was good. It's one of those that held his attention. And he's into the Marvel scene. This definitely isn't his cut of movie, but I was surprised to hear that he enjoyed it as well. They got some good chuckles in, even though the comedy, I think, for him is definitely still kind of like obvious. Yeah. Like I was I was waiting for an utterly unacceptable kind of like comment, you know, with the cows. <laughs> and there's so much of that, which is, you know, par for the course. Mm -hmm. Personally, it was a little drab. Um, <laughs> it was one of those that Judy Dench for me, it was if they didn't have her in that role, I felt like this could have fallen completely flat. And it had a lot of things that to me felt just thrown in there. Like it felt like maybe Buck was going to be a m more main character and mm -hmm. instead was just kind of thrown in for a little side gig here and there. Didn't fe feel necessary. It held my attention. It definitely didn't have a point where I'm like, all right, when's this over? Yeah. I knew it was going to be short. I took it for what it was. And you know me, I'm, I'm an actor, so I don't know like the shots or how you call that stuff. But it had some good scale to it at times and had some good pans that I wasn't expecting. I was just yeah. like, okay, that looked, that looked nice. Well, and this is the last, at least for a while, of the hand-drawn animated Disney movies. Ah. Uh, following this, we go Chicken Little, which I haven't seen, but I've seen clips of and the CG there. looks like it's, it's pretty bad. And then Meet the Robinsons and then Bolt and then Princess and the Frog. They go back to it. And then after that, no more. So this is the, the dwindling days of Disney hand-drawn animation, unfortunately. Well, then, knowing that, I can appreciate it for what that is. Because it, it does. It has those. I love, I grew up, I'm a cowboy guy. So, like, I love horseback stuff. Anything in this era, I'm kind of just drawn to. It wasn't Disney, but Fifel Goes West was another movie that I just ate up as a kid. Yeah. Loved it the cowboys, all that. So, you know, the sunsets, the cactuses, the backdrops, the kind of Arizona style mountains, the yeah. ranch to ranch type scenery. I love that. And it was depicted well. It was beautiful, pleasant on the eye. I'll give it that. David, how about you? Initial thoughts? I think I'm right online with what you're thinking. 
Tom, this one uh, definitely fell flat for me. I don't want to be too negative, but it was a kid's movie. And it was a kid's movie more than some of the Disney movies that we've been watching. Like Some of them have kiddie elements, but they also can appeal to adults. I feel like this one was straight up appealing to little kids. I didn't like the protagonist. I enjoyed some of the like scenery. Like when the movie started, it looked pretty beautiful. It actually reminded me of with the rabbit hopping around or reminded me of the Pixar short Bounden, if yeah. you're familiar with that, mm-hmm. like a Western set desert scene. I was like, okay, I can, I can dig this, this setting. I thought that the mission they're on to save their little old owner's farm was admirable. But once they got to that cabaret saloon and started, you know, demolishing the place, I was just like, oh, come on, this is not, it wasn't funny to me. And I just thought it was getting kind of silly from there. So those are, those are my high level thoughts. I think the most adult point in the movie, it was in that scene, just in terms of like humor wise, where they could actually hit an adult at a point where they go, huh, is one of those dancers falls into the lap of one of the saloon members and then his wig falls off and he's like, dad. And it's like, that might've been the only kind of joke in that realm that like might've gone over a kid's head. Besides the first, one of the first lines of the movie she says, yeah, they're real. Quit staring about her udders. And according to IMDb, that's what gave the movie its PG rating, that line. <laughs> that line in particular. Oh, they yeah, were also, yeah. when they're walking through the field of bulls, the, the male cows, and, and she goes, what are you, a Taurus? Oh, yeah. That was pretty funny. Daddy, son! I actually really enjoyed this movie. I watched this and Brother Bear back to back, and... I mean, you can listen to our my comments on Brother Bear on our episode last week. You know, and these were preceded by Treasure Planet, which I liked, and Atlantis, which I liked. But they're pretty serious movies. There's, there's, there's been a lot of serious stuff, and Brother Bear had a lot of very deep themes, a lot of sad moments, and this was just fun. From the start, the music was, I guess I could say refreshing, based on Brother Bear. We talked last week about Brother Bear and how the Phil Collins songs in that movie just fell very flat. Just from the start, the home, home, home on the range, home. I was like, I just put a smile on my face. I just kind of wrote it as it was. I just kind of let it be. Really enjoyed it throughout. And I think there's some really fun sequences, some really funny moments. And I loved Judy Dench. I thought that was such a funny juxtaposition of character and voice. And uh, yeah, we can get into some more details, but my overall thoughts is pleasantly surprised by Home on the Range. <laughs> Believe it or not. Cowboy, you're really up the What else, what else do we notice in this movie? I have a few more things, but uh, go ahead, Tom or David, if you got anything else. Alamoda, or Alameda, his yodeling caught me, com- that caught me completely off guard when he broke into that. You see a yodeling, the sweetest way of rustling the device, cause when I yodeling, why looky how them cows 
I didn't see that coming. It made it made me chuckle. I mean, that was one of the ones that definitely was like, oh, okay. He sings to the cows, and it got colorful to, for me from there. Because I just, I kind of felt like I was going to predict each step of the way. So there, yeah. when you got little things like that, it was like, okay, nice. They, they got me there. I loved that sequence. It was funny. I think I watched it three times. It harkened back to some of the old, really messed up Disney sequences. Absolutely, <laughs> like the, uh, absolutely. Like the Dumbo, Elephants on Parade. There's a number of sequences in some of those old movies that are really trippy. Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland. Has. The whole movie's trippy. Um, and you get, you get the, uh, the walrus and the carpenter. It reminded me a lot of that, and I was very surprised that it happened, but very charmed by it. You know, he, he breaks into a yodel to hypnotize the cows, and it just goes all haywire from there. I was watching a behind-the-scenes video about this movie, and they had Randy Quaid sing as much as he could of that song, but then they had, they had two, they called them stunt yodelers. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, would, that would take over, uh, and they combined their voices together to, to make it sound like Randy Quaid is yodeling, which is, which is, which is pretty fun. Stunt, stunt yodelers. That's an yes. incredible that's, title. That's what they call it. Yeah. Thanks to my old Dave, what do you think of the yodeling? It definitely reminded me of the Pink Elephants song, just because of like the neon colors and everything. Was that the only musical song in the movie? Or were there any other big That was the only numbers? one sung by a character. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought. But there were definitely other songs. Yeah, it's interesting because the music didn't integrate right as much as kind of, I guess, a classic Disney would or that you would expect. And I, and I will give it that too, kind of Mike, as you were saying, because I, I didn't think of that, the music aspect of it. I, it didn't cheese me. And that's something that's really big for me is like music can get me to a point where it's going to spoil the entire scene because it's just like, oh, this song. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I didn't get that with any of the tracks. I felt like they all were integrated well. They worked. And we talked last week in Brother Bear about how how Phil Collins and others singing songs as narration did not work well in that movie. And I think that had a lot to do with the lyrics, as we said, and just the voices they chose. But I thought in this movie, though, they did the same thing where it's songs used as narration as opposed to characters singing songs. I thought the voices of the people that got to do that fit in perfectly. They had uh, Katie Lang sings the Little Patch of Heaven song at the beginning. And then they had Bonnie Raitt, country legend, sing the song Will the Sun Ever Shine Again, which is the kind of sad song that plays when the cows are lost. Rain is pouring down like the heavens are hurting Seems like it's been dark since the devil knows when How do you go on never knowing for certain Will the sun ever shine again Oh yeah, and they're, the, the old lady's cleaning out the house and Yeah, and there's a, actually a really interesting story to that song which was talked about and if you just go on YouTube and search home on the range behind the scenes and this feels this story feels a little bit out of place for a movie about talking cows but it actually was kind of touching at the same time and listening to the song back and watching the scene back I mean this it makes a difference if you're putting this in context so Alan Menken who I mentioned who wrote all these songs who's very famous for writing Little Mermaid and Aladdin and you know he's a Disney star he was asked to write a song and he called it the where do we go from here song you know the cows are lost and 
he's like, I don't want to write a where do we go from here song with cows about cows. But then he said in the middle of production of this movie, 9-11 happened, you know, 2001. Oh. And he, like many other artists, was wanted to use his art to write something to kind of comfort himself and to help comfort other people. And then he wrote a little tune on the piano, which became the tune of this song. And tossed it to to Glenn Slater, the lyricist, who then wrote those lyrics, Will the Sun Ever Shine Again? And if you listen to those lyrics and that song in the context of when it was written and when the movie came out, it actually is fairly profound Wow! <laughs> for a movie like Home on the Range. Maybe soon the storm will be tired of blowing. Maybe soon it all will be over, amen. How do you go on if there's no way Will the sun ever shine? Wish I could say, send me a sign. One little ray. Lord, if you're listening, how long until then? Will the sun ever shine again? This movie's not much of a heartstring tugger, but when I heard that, it, it, it made a big difference. And that's what I was wondering, too, and kind of like the big theme of, of just it being for 2004 to have a farm-centered theme, you know, with kind of barnyard animals. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, it kind of seemed a little, uh, I mean, it was 2004, so it seemed a little simple for that time. Like, it feels like that's the story they do in like the 70s or 80s. And in 2004, they'd be having something with robots and, you know, the incredible superhero. So it's, yeah. it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition to the time, too, that they do something that homely and she's losing the ranch or losing the farm and coming in and buying it off her and it's, yeah it, no i agree it felt so it felt so random to me yeah but i felt like there was a point they were trying to make like there was something in that of was there a movement with farmers losing land back then like, you know <laughs> don't you know. don't I have no idea it just felt like there was something there other than like oh it's just a story element david what do you got you didn't like this one very much no i didn't um <laughs> i mean okay things i did like i liked a lot of the wide shots they have really beautiful backgrounds um i think that i mean as the last hand-drawn animated movie i mean it's ever since they introduced computer animation it's definitely jarring when they use that along with the hand-drawn animation and they're you can tell the, the shots that are done in the computer some of the sweeping camera movements when they're on the mine cart like some of those shots th- i mean those stuck out to me and maybe they probably wouldn't have at the time just because we're not used to like better computer animation like we are now. But like the close-up shots though of the cows and a lot of the the people, I wasn't really impressed with like their character models. I thought they felt a little bit simple for being such a late movie. I mean, even movies from the 80s and 90s, I thought looked kind of similar to this hand-drawn animation. So I just felt like it would have advanced a little more and looked a little bit better than it did having been so late. Like I said earlier, I think they were trying to emulate some of those older Disney Western shorts as their style guide. Yeah. 
And so if you do compare this to those, they're very similar. So it doesn't, doesn't necessarily justify it, but that's, that's, I think that's what they were going for. I kind of agree. The, the, the people didn't bounce. They didn't bounce off the screen as much as the backdrop did. And the, the animals too were pretty basic. I mean, not very shapely, not, not unique characteristics weren't really there. As it's coming to mind thinking about it though, there was a Seinfeld reference, I believe, hmm. in this movie. And it's in the very opening and it's when they're dancing on the farmyard when you're getting used to it. The rabbit, or I think it's the rabbit. No, no, it's the duck. It's the duck is doing um, Elaine's dance. Oh, really? Doing the, yeah, I like doing the really bad dance with the kick, <laughs> the really jagged kick and the thumbs. That's funny. I went back and looked at that like three times. I'm like, yeah, that's that's that dance. My other favorite really subtle reference, this takes a little bit of context, but this was you know a number of years after Jeffrey Katzenberg left Disney to go help start DreamWorks, which became a pretty big rival to Disney. And one of the DreamWorks animated films from the year 2002 was Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, which is a horse movie. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a line where I forget which character says it, but one of the characters calls Buck Stallion of the Cimarron. (laughs) Is it that the buffalo call him that? Yeah, it's either buffalo or one of the cows. Hey, look, it's the Stallion of the Cimarron, (laughs) which is a complete knock on DreamWorks and Jeffrey Katzenberg and Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron. Well, seeing is believing. And I don't believe what I see. Oh, it's Buck! Stallion of the Sim Moron. I'm supposed to be here just in case one of the horses get tired. Cows only. That's a, that's a deep cut. That one, that one caught my attention. I'll give uh, one more shout out to Alan Menken here, who also did the score, the musical score for this movie. I think the music is fantastic. And I've never heard him do a Western score. This guy is just, he's incredible. Obviously, the music in animated movies is a, is a huge part of it. And aside from the songs that he wrote, I think the background music is also... Very classic Western, but very classic Alan Menken as well. Tom, it is the duty of our guests to come up with a rating system specific to the movie we were talking about. So something Home on the Range related it needs to be out of a number. How should we rate Home on the Range? Let's do it out of Roseanne Bars. Okay. It was like she shouldn't be in this movie. <laughs> How many? I'm just going to give it a seven Roseanne bars. Out of 10? Out of 10, yeah. All right, so seven out of 10. What are your, what are your final thoughts on Home on the Range? Uh, they're never going to give Roseanne work again. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Judy Dench, though, she'll see work. All right, David, out of 10 Roseanne bars, how do you rate Home on the Range? Hmm. Well, last week I gave Brother Bear a 6.5, I believe. I enjoyed Brother Bear more than this movie, so but not by much. I think I'd give this a 6.4 out of 10. One decimal point lower. Yeah. Final thoughts? I don't know. Maybe I would have liked it if I had not been busy playing Yu-Gi-Oh! in 2004 and going to see that movie, which they gave you an Egyptian god card when you went to see Yu-Gi-Oh! in theaters. It was very cool. (laughs) Um, This movie did not give out Yu-Gi-Oh! cards when you saw it in theaters. So I didn't see it, but maybe I would have liked it then when I watched more cartoons, when I enjoyed that type of humor. I just, the slapstick-ness of the humor in this movie didn't work for me. And the the villain wasn't something that really intrigued me, and neither was the, the main protagonist. I thought she was kind of a jerk to her friends sometimes. So yeah, 6.4 out of 10. Out of 10, I'm going to give this like a solid 7.8. Hmm. Maybe even eight, maybe even eight out of 10. This movie is just fun. It was silly. It was stupid. It was charming. 
And again, I knew nothing about it going into it. And so I just enjoyed the ride. I think the music had a big part of it. And I didn't know it was Alan Menken until afterwards, but I probably subconsciously did know it was Alan Menken. So that like just kind of hit my heart because I love, I love his work. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's plenty. There's plenty of gripes you can make with this movie. It's 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 like I said. It's it's dumb, but I just had a lot of fun with it. And and from the yodeling to the Steve Buscemi, I enjoyed Home on the Range a lot. So I recommend it. Check it out if you haven't seen it. Tell us what you think, and uh, we'll end it with that. So Garrett, Tom, Henry, thanks so much for joining us today on Disney One by One. Hey, thanks for letting me ramble. And David, it's a pleasure as always. Looking for a quote to sign off with. Can you yodel? Oh, man, that'll be disastrous. <laughs> that grumpy old goat had a few guffaws. Come on, Dave, something. Just yodel. There's nothing on here. There are no good quotes. And remember, you can find us everywhere on the internet at Disney1x1, and please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We read them all, and we'll read it here on the show. Next week, as we said, we'll be back with Chicken Little. I've never seen it. I just know it looks like crap, so we'll see if the movie's any good. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Disney One by One podcast. If you have any questions or suggestions, send us an email to Disney1x1 at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Disney1x1 and at Disney1x1.com. We'll be back next week with another exciting episode of the Disney One by One podcast. Mike, I just found one so you can oh, you insert did? You it. Say it okay old mcdonald had a farm e-i-e-i ow <laughs> perfect